Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. Hello and welcome to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM The Bay with interim host Jenny Cressman. That's me. Your regular host, Chris O'Cutesy, is taking a little break, and I'm sitting in as the irregular host for a couple of shows. Well, here we go. Today, my guest is Wendy Oak. I've known Wendy for, like, ever, I think, pretty I think much. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we go back way back and there's stories that I won't share on the radio (laughs) our travels in Costa Rica for example and and then we've traveled in Cuba together too and and hanging off the CN Tower together that's exactly right yes I was forgetting that that was that was great that was like literally a highlight (laughs) so um, we hang out together yes exactly so Wendy I know as an incredibly engaged and engaging person, eclectically creative, and someone with a very high degree of social consciousness and uh, very socially active in the activism sort of way. So that's my little introduction for you. But tell us a, a little bit more about your background and coming to Muskoka and how that all happened. Well, initially, um, my family cottage was on Lake of Bays, and, and we bought that in 1950, right at Norway Point opposite Big Win Inn. So I had the, the lovely luxury of growing up opposite Big Win, and I worked there, actually, the last year that it was open on the, the switchboard. Uh-huh. And so at that time, <clears throat> I was a cottager. <laughs> uh, and then when I met my husband, Colin Oak down in uh, Toronto in the 1970s. We both discovered we had sort of shared land that we loved up around Muskoka and in Huntsville, and I had to get used to the idea. I was dating a local. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least he was local and not local. (laughs) No, I won't won't comment on that one. Um, So in the 70s, that's when I met Colin, and then we both started teaching at uh, Huntsville High School in the English department with Greg Muntz, and uh, that was just an incredibly fun time. And I got involved with um, the Black Hole Cabaret that Colin was involved with, uh, Suzanne Rivern and, and Doug Raisbeck. So all of those kids sort of became our, our second Black Hole family. And that was a music and other arts, um, performing oh, yes. arts. It was performing event. arts, yeah. and Colin taught the, the tech programs as well. Ah. So the kids learned lighting, and they learned the soundboards, and they mm-hmm. learned the production part, not just the performance part. So he taught... Um, creative drama at that point and it was very broad-based but every month they had um, an open to the entire town production using about a hundred kids wow and so well and and so many people who are now performing around Huntsville went through that whole black hole cabaret thing um Hawksley Workman who was actually under a different name at that time yes yes (laughs) our our beloved Ryan Corrigan yes and I mean he's an internationally well-known uh performer now but there are people who live in New York and who were in all all aspects of the the music industry that got their their uh, teeth cut on the the black hole and we all had to listen to way too loud music and a lot more Nirvana than I ever want to hear. (laughs) Okay, but you still like music. (laughs) I love music and I love good old rock and roll so it was falling on good ears and and so I still love to dance and we've had our fair share of dancing in Cuba together. Yes, indeed. And other places. Yes. So yes, that was part of 
Well, uh, and that was part of your your socially active years, especially. But you also got into more um, activism regarding feminism mm-hmm. and lots of other projects. Yeah. What are some of the projects that spring to mind as being highlights for you? Well, when I first started, um, I was having a, a, a woman's circle. And yes. I called it a woman's healing circle because a lot of people uh, did come who had had abuse issues before. And it, it was open to all women, but it mm-hmm. sort of became more of a healing circle. And then from that, it naturally came to weekend retreats because we had a beautiful property out on Grassmere mm-hmm. and uh, I had acreage there on the lake. And so I had retreats and at our cottages and we had sweat lodges and that was a natural branching off from the women's circle. And then it became a little more political with the December 6th, the Montreal massacre. And yes. that was, I think that's when you and I met. That was around that time. When we were, it was also the opening of the YWCA, and we mm-hmm. were looking at the sexual assault services opening um, places. And so we were all in the same women politically active circle and I I think that's how we met. Yeah I think it may have been or perhaps just prior to that. I started organizing the the December 6th vigil and we had some Mm -hmm. wonderful beautiful experiences downtown. Yeah the bridge over troubled water when you were um, having the gathering for the December 6th vigil at the swing bridge. Yes. That was very dramatic and very moving. It was. Yeah. So we did that for many many years and then when I finally stopped sort of organizing it and I thought okay well it's time for somebody else to do it and at that time my son was 17 and he said um, well you have to do this it's really important and I said well it is really important and no I don't have to do it but he said then I will yeah I just sat back and went okay yeah so he and Sarah Boucher and some of the people who were taking family studies at uh, the high school are the ones that sort of pulled together what we did for one of the vigils and I just walked with the crowd it was pretty special yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's neat how the, the new generation sort of come forward and yes. take on projects like that. Although no one has taken on your Wise Woman Ways or your Walk Your Talk columns that you no. used to do, yes. that unfortunately um, not happening anymore. But you wrote some amazing, wonderful stuff, how you pulled mm-hmm. together so many different forms of spirituality and so, so much of um, your background in different studies. That's part of the eclectic aspect I think Mm. that you're able to weave together into a beautiful tapestry well again you were involved in that as Mm -hmm. you were the editor of the walk your talk column yes and so we got from the women's resource center that we Mm -hmm. attempted to start but again everything had to sort of filter into where they felt more comfortable and a lot of the women's services ended up in Bracebridge yeah so our resource center sort of bred a bunch of women who were good writers Karen Wurstheim was one of them yeah and uh, so that's when we started to to write and mm-hmm. instead of just writing about issues that we proclaimed to believe in we had to walk your talk and yes. we had to actually do something about it yes so when I saw that there were many 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 wrongs and there was a lot of misogyny and um, a lot of of tunnel vision in terms of this being a, a waspy neighborhood a white anglo-saxon protestant neighborhood mm-hmm. It, this was new to people to hear about some of the earth-based religions. And at first people, you know, thought, well, this is strange or this is weird or this is pagan. And I had to then break down what does pagan mean? It means yes. liver, dweller in the country. That's it. Mm-hmm. And people followed the, the planting calendars and <clears throat> had rituals to bring in the sun returning and what to do when the sun was 
leaving for the winter. And so it was it it became more and more non-threatening. Yes. As I explained to a lot of people what was actually happening at our our women's circle and just because there was a woman and uh, traditionally they met on the moon and you had a candle that that was not to be considered as threatening. Yes. And so uh, the more I explained about it in my wise woman ways column later for the weekender for three years, which mm-hmm. was lovely. Um, I had people meet me elderly people on the street often who I'd known from Hidden Valley often because we belong uh-huh. to Hidden Valley uh, ski club as well, who said, I look forward to reading your column every week. And and this one particular lady said, I don't always understand it, but I love reading it. And then I go and look up what you've said, and I'm learning a lot. (laughs) Well, that's great. That's great. Now, did, did some of that lead into the grandmothers to grandmothers involvement? Um, I don't know whether it led in. It was more of the same. Okay. Yes. yes. So um, tell us a little bit about the grandmothers to grandmothers. Well, I was part of the, the Muskoka uh, or the Huntsville group, first of all. Mm-hmm. And we met for a few times. But then I met Susan Ware and Barbara Par- Power. Mm-hmm. And they were part of, of a network that I already was having fun and hanging out with and, and doing things with. And so I was quite happy to join the total Muskoka uh, grandmothers to grandmothers, which is... Um, under the umbrella of the Stephen Lewis Foundation. Yes. And he's known to be very active on behalf of the generation of women who have become grandmothers in Africa uh-huh. uh, because they're whole, the whole generation of their offspring have died off because of HIV AIDS and they're uh-huh. raising their grandchildren. Okay. So that was a branch under the Stephen Lewis Foundation. And it was all across con- uh, Canada. There were 200 groups when I joined. Mm -hmm. And that was what, 10 years ago. Yeah. And so we helped raise funding and awareness and consciousness around the need to help these grandmothers in Africa. And so we had so much fun. We made things and baked things and had African dinners and drumming circles. Oh, yeah, your events were great. (laughs) So I was writing for them to say what we were doing just to keep people aware of this. So they would donate more money. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, and what other, um, oh, well, um, the First Nations or Six Nations yes. I- issues, Native issues, also it weaves in very well with some of the other things you're involved with. And so you're getting into that more now, I think. Yes. So we'll talk more about that in the second half. We just need to wind up a little bit here for the first part of our show and, and let some commercials roll. You know, you got to pay the piper and then we'll come back in a few minutes with muskoka unlimited your host jenny cressman interviewing wendy oak so stay tuned folks we'll be right back i'm dr shervin from dairy lane dental and you're listening to muskoka magazine Welcome back to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM, The Bay, with host Jenny Cressman and guest Wendy Oak. <laughs> she likes how I say that, so I'm going to say it again. Wendy Oak. Rolls off <laughs> Wendy Oak is here with me, and we were talking in the first half. We were just getting into some other social activism projects that she's currently involved with. So, Wendy, the, the Native Issues has long been a heart project for you. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with that and what's happening currently. Okay. 
Um, I've always been interested in um, Native traditions and teachings, and uh, it turns out that I have that in my blood because my blood grandmother was a full-blooded Native girl from Six Nations area, and at 15, she was impregnated by a very powerful family's young boy uh-huh. who was a white boy, and my mom was adopted at 15 hours old because they just hid things like that. Uh-huh. So I am actually like a quarter Native. I just happen to look like my dad and my Irish genes, but it's very important to me um, what's going on with the Native uh, Indigenous peoples mm-hmm. everywhere, and I yes. tried to teach about that. But most recently, I was glad to hear that the uh, Muskoka Indigenous Friendship Center has expanded to um, having a few meetings so far in Huntsville at the library. And I went, I was glad to hear about that on the, I think, the second meeting that they had. So I'm becoming involved with that to try to see what needs uh, in the community are required in the Indigenous community. And they said there are a lot more Indigenous people around than show yeah. Well, and is anyone welcome to be involved in that yes, center? Yes, anyone. Okay. So they just have to watch for information posted yes. on Facebook, probably? I would go through the, yes, on it's on Muskoka, Muskoka Indigenous Friendship Center, mm-hmm. and it is has a Facebook presence, but you can ask at the library, too. Okay, because that's uh, where the meetings all are. Yes, and okay. so it, people who are concerned about the residential schools, I've been to the residential school where my mm-hmm. grandmother likely went, mm-hmm. uh, the Mohawk Institute, the Mush Hole. It was terribly, terribly, terribly bleak, and wow. I won't go into that, but that's yeah. one of the most important issues right now that we're highlighting. For sure. So with all of your um, background in different spiritualities and native traditions, that's something you bring with you when you're a wedding officiant. Yes. And you've been a wedding officiant for all seasons weddings for how many years now? 13 years. I've done over 300 weddings in Muskoka and of all ilk. Yes. (laughs) So sometimes I work with somebody else um, and Mm -hmm. I only do the legal part. Sometimes people, I've done Buddhist weddings and I've done hand fastings and medicine wheel types and I've I've done a lot of different kinds of weddings that are Mm -hmm. quite interesting. What's one of your favorites? Oh dear. (laughs) A a particular setting or, or... There's so many. I can't narrow down to one because okay. I get to go to some of the neatest places and oh I know one of my favorites <laughs> okay I love it when they say and you can bring your husband to the reception <laughs> and then one, one of my favorites was I got paid to do the wedding we went out on the segwin I did the ceremony I had my husband we had a lovely dinner and Aww. we danced until the boat came back under the moon and I looked at Colin and I just said I love my job <laughs> that's nice so that's Very right nice. up there for a Pisces to be out on the water doing all of that Yes, yes. And and so you do different settings, you do different types of weddings. And how do they get in touch with you for that? Through All Seasons Weddings. Oh, okay. So it's a website that they just book through. Yes, yes, they have to book me through them. Okay, and you're busy all summer with them, right? I have 30 weddings booked this summer. A lot of the people who had to cancel or postpone over COVID um, Mm -hmm. because of venue changes or closings are now all catching up. So if anyone wonders, I get asked, are people still getting married? Yes, they are. And 30 of them have booked me for the summer. (laughs) Okay, very cool. And your daughter's in that too, isn't she? Yes, yes. Yes. My my daughter, Cheyenne Wood, Mm -hmm. uh, is also um, a written officiant for all seasons. They told me they needed more people in the area and so I think maybe five years ago Cheyenne started doing this too okay but she's a teacher so she can't do um during the the school season in the fall and I'm pretty busy all the time but yeah 
She's just as good. Well, both your daughters are teachers, right? Yes. My oldest daughter is Kim Small and the wondrous Kim Small. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, her her training and teaching is in the forest school. So she's really active Ah. in in, uh, outdoor ed with the kids. And Mm -hmm. she's also um, very active on the the teachers union. So both my daughters are excellent teachers. um, And they've had a rough go with all the teachers through COVID and what they had to do. But... They've taught online, offline, with masks, not with shields, Crazy. and even for a while, goggles. And they've worked with kids that didn't have computers. And it was very difficult to juggle yeah. everything. All the yeah. teachers have it, just as the nurses have. But I, yeah. I give great uh, credit to the teachers who, two of my kids at least, have followed in Collins in my footsteps. And they love their kids, and therefore, they're good teachers. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, well, that's the important thing is enjoying what you do and the people you do it with. So mm-hmm. some some kids can be a challenge, I imagine, but maybe that's part of the enjoyment of the job, mm-hmm. taking and on often, those challenges. Like in the black hole, we yeah. had a lot of the kids that were other people's challenges. And Mm -hmm. they were not ours because we just knew how to be with them. And so I get along better with the kids that are more likely to get kicked out of a school than Hmm. the ones that get A's all the time because they're easy to get along with. But you have to find the little piece in to the kids that are difficult or stressed or not getting enough mental health support in society. Well, one of your students also went on to uh, to become a filmmaker, Jeremy Muntz. Was he a troubled student? Was he a problem? Or was he a good kid? <laughs> Jeremy's like a son. <laughs> so Jeremy was the director of um, the film that we made about Alma Rumball and mm-hmm. her, her visionary art. And it was called The Alma Drawings. And having worked in the English department with Greg Muntz, we hung out as friends equally and lived on Lake Wasiosa for a while across from where Jeremy lived. And he had often come to our house to see Alma's drawings. And he was really moved by um, the drawings. And now when I think about it, that documentary has been in 80 countries in the world. Wow. Went out on the Spiritual Cinema Circle. It won mm-hmm. the Best Direction at the Hot Docs Film Festival. In I Toronto. Ha- in Toronto. And mm-hmm. it was an international f- festival. And Jeremy yes. won the Best Direction for that. And so it's well known enough. Um, and Alma's now well known enough that I travel everywhere and that I'm offered to and do presentations and talks, Virginia Beach in particular. Mm-hmm. But now um, I was contacted by media mystic art collectors in Europe and said, why is it we don't know about Alma? <laughs> we stumbled upon her. <laughs> and so I have now sold some of her originals to um, collector in um, Germany, okay. Dr. L. Mark Gruber, and he has the largest collection of mediumistic art in the world. And people come to him to borrow some of his collection. And we just had an exhibition with two of Alma's works in Vienna. She would have just cool. would have blown her mind. Well, so for people who don't know who Alma Rumball is and what her art was all about, can you explain that a little bit? Yes. In the 1950s, in Huntsville, she had a vision, and she said her vision was of Jesus. She was a devout Christian, and she said, he said, you must draw and you must write. And all of a sudden, she became clairvoyant and started to see other planes of existence, and her hands started to draw you know, independently of what her conscious so mind automatic was drawing is what so it's called, right? therefore, it's called automatic drawing. Okay. And that's a surrealist term, because yeah. the surrealists tried to get to the state that Alma got to quite 
easily in her little cottage living uh-huh. all by herself for 20 years. She was a recluse doing uh-huh. nothing but this. And so then I started to show her work. And now I have 150 prints um, at my house and the documentary film. Yeah, the documentary was great. It was very interesting to learn about her more. Mm-hmm. And it, it, she's been um, in the purview of people like the Dalai Lama, right? Yes, in the 1970s, when somebody started to recognize how detailed and layered her symbolism and, and tiny mm-hmm. squiggles were, they almost looked like doodle art. Yeah. And someone said she had drawn the pattern that the Tibetan Tonkas were woven in and she said you must show these to the Dalai Lama so in 1970 it was between 74 and 78 I'm not exactly sure what year I did take them to a gathering of 100 people that my contact um, had organized and he looked at them and he said they're pure spirit she's drawing what she sees and he said I I don't know who the faces are but I can put you in touch with my spiritual advisor Kali Kalu Rinpoche Mm -hmm. who will know who they are and this man identified seven of the 20 that I took down to see him out of the hundreds York University actually has 4,430 of them in there she um, was prolific (laughs) she was prolific and that's um in their permanent collection and uh-huh. they had a showing there to show how prolific she was they had a whole room with glass cases with piles of them to show just how prolific she was wow so you're you're still working with Alma's drawings presenting them but not as much as you used to and well, in a different way I'm yeah. doing it probably as much but on uh, on podcasts and interviews on uh, on tv and or on the radio Okay. And so what else is coming up for you in, in 30 seconds or less? <laughs> oh my goodness, Jenny. Okay, a life in 30 seconds. So we covered the wedding, we covered Elmar. Um, I'm volunteering as a food rescuer for the uh, Table Food Bank and they need more volunteers. I volunteered for the Green Party to support Mac Richter and we almost made it. And I've already covered what I'm doing with the Indigenous Friendship Centre. So um that's it. Okay, awesome. Well, that's perfect timing. Thank you very much for being my guest, Wendy Oak. It was <laughs> fun chatting with you, as always. And uh, watch for this show on 88.7 FM after it airs. Then you'll be able to find links to the podcast on the Bay's website or my Facebook page. Thanks for listening to Muskoka Unlimited on the Bay. Bye for now. Bye for now.